بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد فان احسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وإن شر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار. So today, this is the second lesson on the explanation of the hadith of Hudayfa bin al-Yaman رضي الله عنه. And so in the first lesson, in the previous lesson, we looked at some brief biography of the companion Hudayfa radiallahu anhu and what we established, a number of things. Uh, first of all, that he was a companion to whom the Messenger of Allah وسلم, he confided uh, certain information about the hypocrites, the munafiqeen, and he knew the names of the hypocrites. And also, he was from the companions who had the greatest knowledge of the fitan of the trials and the tribulations to befall this ummah from the passing of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam up until the establishment of the hour. And this is why, this is why we see many a hadith narrated by Hudayfa such as this particular hadith where he used to ask the Messenger of Allah about the evil, the evil affairs. And also the other hadith such as uh, the tribulations being presented to the hearts, you know, like the systematically, like the, the stitching of a reed mat, you know, and many other ahadith like this, we find that they come from Hudayfa bin al Yaman radiallahu anhu. So we spoke about some biographical details, then we read through the hadith of Hudayfa and Sheikh Ubaid, uh, in what we covered, he mentioned a number of points. Uh, first of all, this is a tremendous, mighty hadith. There are many, many important principles and lessons, uh, foundations that can be taken from this hadith. From them is the fact that the companions were very, very eager to know not just the good, but also the evil. And this wasn't something unique to Hudayfa, radiallahu anhu. Rather, we see the companions in general uh, the Sheikh brought numerous other texts uh, to show that because the Prophet himself, just like every Prophet, was obligated to inform his people of every good that he knew for them and to warn them from every evil that he knew for them. And so therefore, in general, amongst the companions, there was this knowledge not only of the good, but also of the evil. But particular companions like Hudayfa would seek out specific types of knowledge as a result of which, you know, he, he was the companion who was left alive having the most amount of this, this type of knowledge. Uh, after that, the Sheikh also uh, established a number of other things. Uh, first of all, he explained the hadith such as uh, what is the good, what is the evil, what is the good, what is the evil in, in the order in this hadith. Uh, 
So Hudayfa said that we used to be in jahiliya, in evil jahiliya, and then good came, Islam came. So will there be any good after this, will there be any evil after this good? And so the good, the first good is obviously it's Islam, and it is the Khilafah of Abu Bakr and Umar, radiallahu anhuma. This is when the, 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 there was no tribulations. And then the Messenger of Islam said that there, yes, there will be evil. And the scholars explain this evil to be the killing of Uthman, radiallahu anhu, the third caliph. And as you know, he was killed by some bandits in a revolution instigated by various factions but led by Abdullah bin Sabah al-Yahudi and so this was the evil according to the interpretation of certain scholars and then will there be any good after that evil and the messenger of Allah said yes wafihi dakhan yes and there will be some taint therein so the scholars explain this is referring to the Khilafah of Ali radiallahu anhu. So good was established again after um, you know, Ali united uh, the Ummah, but then there was some dakhan. And so the scholars explain this was the, you know, the, 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 what happened afterwards of the khawarij and the, the splitting and the splitting of the khawarij from, from, from the Ummah and just general how something appeared in the hearts that wasn't there before in the time of Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu anhuma. So this now is the dakhan, the, you know, the taint or the, that entered into uh, the ummah. The sheikh then went on to explain to us how um, there will appear after this a people who will not follow the guidance of the messenger, nor will, the, nor will they follow his sunnah. So this now is a clear indication of the appearance of various sects and callers to misguidance. And so the Sheikh then mentioned a number of groups or a number of tribulations which is to come. From them, the greatest of them in the future is that of Dajjal, the greatest liar. And from them, from the sects which appeared are the Khawarij, likewise the Qadariya, those who denied Al-Qadr, likewise the Rafida, the Rafida, the Shia Rafida, he mentioned them as well. And in general, the people of desires and innovation and misguidance, right? So this is what the Messenger of Allah is alluding to or mentioning when he says that these people, they will be a people who... Uh, do not follow my sunnah, nor do they follow my guidance. So then we come to, uh, then uh, Hudayfa asked, uh, he said, uh, describe them to us. And the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, and he said that they are from our tongue, they speak with our tongue, and they are from our skin. Uh, which means that they are not foreign people. They are obviously they are they are Arabs who speak that language, and uh, you know they 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 are not foreign people. And so this is where we basically finished the lesson in the previous 
lesson. And we're going to continue from this point from where we left off. And so the Sheikh, if you remember, the point that we finished on was basically that in general what the Messenger of Allah is mentioning here is that there will be people uh, who will be from our tongue, from our skin, and they will be callers to misguidance. And we will have specific groups and sects appearing in the Ummah, as happened, like the Khawarij, the Rafidah, the Qadariyah. And in a more general sense, there will be people of innovations and people of desires. And this brings us to the next part of the hadith then, in which the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, what did he say? He said that um, regarding these people, you will ta'rifu minhum wa tunkir. Ta'rifu minhum wa tunkir. Right? Which means that the people who come after the time of Ali radiallahu anhu, in which there is going to be some taint in the ummah, right? You will accept some things from them as being good and true, and you will reject some things from them as being evil, right? So meaning, compared to the time of Abu Bakr and Umar, radiallahu anhuma, in this time, in this period in the ummah, there will be things that weren't like what it used to be. There will be things you will see uh, from these callers or from these people. You will acknowledge some good from them and there will also be some evil that you will, that you will reject. Now on this point, on this point here, on this statement, تَعْرِفُ minhum wa tunkir, the Sheikh mentions another very important point in our methodology, in the Salafi methodology, in the methodology of the Qur'an, the Sunnah, and the way of the Sahaba. And this is to do with a principle when it comes to speaking and warning the Ummah and the Muslims from the evils of these groups and these sects. So someone can come along and the Sheikh says that there are some people who are from the Harakiyun. These are the political activists who engage people in, in politics, not the siyasa shari'iyya, not the sharia politics, but the politics of the disbelievers. And they use this statement of the Messenger of Allah, where the Messenger said, you will acknowledge some things from them and you will reject some things from them. So they use this statement of the Messenger of Allah to devise a principle which didn't exist in our religion or with the Sahaba or with the Salaf. And this principle is that when you want to criticize somebody, a deviant, an innovator, a group, then you must mention his good points and his good deeds at the same time. Otherwise, you have fallen into dhulm. You have fallen into oppression. And so then they turn this into a principle in religion that this, is, that this is something that you have to adhere to whenever you speak about any person, any innovator, any deviant, any misguidance. Otherwise, you have fallen into, into um, you know, uh, oppression. Now, the people, this is a modern principle. It's something new. This is something that's brought by the political activists. And the reason why they brought this principle uh, from, from the uh, al-Ikhwan, al-Muslimin, Muslim Brotherhood, 
is because when many of the scholars began to criticize certain figureheads like Hassan al-Banna, Sayyid Qutb and people like that because what they found in their books is, is the aqidah of the Jahmiyyah, the aqidah of the, 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 the statement or the poison of the Rafidah, the Rafidah Shia. And when they found uh, attacks against Muawiyah, takfir of the whole Ummah, as we find in the books of Sayyid Qutb, or when you see Ninas, the call to Ninas between the Shia of Iran and the Sunnis, uh, the Sunni Muslims, as we find in the books of Hassan al-Banna, or, or not even that, going beyond that, and even calling to unity of religions, where the Yahud and the Nasara, now they become our brethren, right? And our disputes with them are not to do with the religion, but only to do with land, right? All these things are found in the books of Hassan al-Banna, Sayyid Qutb and others. So all of this is a, is a corrupt type of siyasa mixed with many of the ancient, the, the old deviant beliefs, the beliefs of the Mu'tazila, the beliefs of the Khawarij, the beliefs of the Sufiya, the beliefs of, of, of the Rafida. So when the scholars of Tawheed and Sunnah began to criticize these people and to warn from their books, that's when these individuals began to devise these principles as a means of, first of all, shielding their figureheads from, from correct, warranted criticism. And secondly, in order to silence the people of Tawheed and the Sunnah from doing the duty and the obligation which is upon them to clarify the truth and to make the path clear. And also to... to kind of compromise the people of the Sunnah and to make inroads so that they can confuse people and, and win recruits for their cause. So this one example, this is called Al-Muwazana, Al-Muwazana, which means to counterbalance between the good and the evil. And all of the scholars of Tawheed and the Sunnah, they refuted this principle. Uh, Shaykh Al-Albani, Rahimahullah, has a lot of uh, statements on this, Shaykh bin Baz, Sheikh Ibn Uthaymeen, Sheikh Al-Fawzan, all the scholars, they, they, they spoke about this. Now the Sheikh, in responding to this, he says, look, we have a number of responses to this. First of all, the first answer is that the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, حَذَّرَ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْأَهْوَىٰ And uh, he, he warned from the people of desires. In fact, he even ordered with the killing of some of them, like the Khawarij. Right? So this is a command to the rulers, that when the Khawarij appear as a force, as a, as a military force, then they should be fought and subdued. And um, so where did the Messenger of Allah, where did he mention the good along with the evil? If this was a principle in our religion, he, didn't, he never did this, right? He never actually did this. And as for those people who say, oh, he praised the Khawarij because he said, look at their prayer, compared to your prayer, look at their recitation of the Qur'an compared to your recitation. No, this is not actually a praise. This is actually a, a rebuke, right? This is to say that all of this action, all of these deeds, which are in vain, because this is based upon ghulu, exaggeration, and ignorance upon jahl, right? This is what, what is intended when the messenger said to the companions, 
that you will belittle your prayer compared to their prayer and you will belittle your recitation compared to their recitation. Right? It is not because it's a praise of their piety and so on and so forth. No, because all of this is built upon jahl and it's built upon a pretentiousness of somehow fearing Allah but really inwardly you're seeking wealth and leadership and whatever else. So this is not, this, this is not a praise. So anyhow, the Sheikh is saying from the Messenger of Allah, what do we see? He warned against the Qadariyyah. He warned against the Khawarij. Yet we do not see mentioning any, you know, any uh, good or anything like that. The second answer the Shaykh gives is that this statement that they take, ta'arifu minhum wa tunkir, which they use from this hadith, he says, we have to take this statement and then look at everything else in the sunnah because that is mufassal, that is mufassal, the other things in the sunnah that we see, all of that is explained in detail, and we see in all other parts of the sunnah, uh, we see many, many texts in which there are commands to um, you know, keep away from them and to warn uh, against them, and there are many, many texts. The Sheikh men mentions one example, from the time of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And this hadith is the famous hadith of Ka'ab bin Malik radiyallahu anhu. And as you know, uh, he and two of his companions, they kept away, they did not fight in the expedition of Tabuk. And as a result of that, because there was some doubt as to, you know, they didn't, didn't have an excuse or did they have an excuse, then the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam he punished them by boycotting them for 50 days 50 whole days and not only that he ordered everyone else to make hijrah from them to boycott them and so the people boycotted them and even their wives were ordered to separate from them and this obviously created tremendous hardship upon these companions to such an extent that even as Ka'ab Bin Malik radiallahu anhu used to say that if only, if only I die, you know, he wanted to die in this state because the affair was such, you know, he was fearful that he might die upon uh, misguidance, so he was lamenting that, that he might die, so he didn't want to die, fearing that he might die upon misguidance. So this is one example in the time of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, where because of uh, this, is, this is like a type of legislative punishment. But in meeting out this punishment, we don't see that the virtues were being extolled of Ka'ab bin Malik and his, even they, are, they have virtues. Because what is the intent? The intent here is to punish for, 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 for a certain uh, thing, for a certain sin or for a certain opposition so that the other people understand this to be a punishment. The Sheikh goes on to say that this matter is discussed in detail about the Sharia punishments, and he mentions Sheikh Al Islam Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah. He actually mentions a principle in Majmul Fatawa: "Man adarra nas, man adarra nas fi dinihim aw dunyahum, wajabat uqubatuhu bi qadri madaratuhu." Whoever harms the people in their religion or their world, then it is obligatory to punish him to the extent of his harm. 
right so this is a principle in religion whoever harms the people either in their religion or in their world it is obligatory to punish him to the extent of his harm so when we look at the sharia if we look at the sharia as a whole we see the prescribed punishments for example we see uh, for example there are punishments for um, let's say someone who steals for example is a prescribed punishment uh, there are and again there, there are wisdoms behind uh, these punishments uh, there's punishments for slander for example for slandering somebody um, so there are various types of uh, exemplary punishments because of harm that's been done and also in order to discourage other people from doing the same the same evils and so when this applies to the dunya as Ibn Taymiyyah said then likewise the same thing in the deen, in the religion. Because the harm in the religion is greater than the harm in the world. If someone steals from you, if someone harms you in one way or another, okay, that's, you can live with that, you can have patience, you can make more wealth, you can you know, recover. But if someone comes to you and convinces you of some destructive bid'ah, or some destructive creed such as negating Allah's attributes or that actions are not from Iman and you are a believer perfect in your faith and you don't need to do any good deeds because your Iman is just inside your heart these types of beliefs or that Qadr there is no Qadr you you know everything is just happens like this uh, you create your own actions these types of beliefs are, are destructive beliefs they destroy not only the individual, but they also destroy the ummah because they erode the strength of the ummah. So if, if, it, if we can accept and understand that a thief or an oppressor or a slanderer can be given exemplary punishment to punish him for his evil and to discourage that evil, then how much more so should that apply to the people who bring harm to the religion, who corrupt the religion, but also harm the people thereby. This obviously must be, must, be, must be greater and even more important. And this is why we see in the Sunnah, the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, in his time when there is no innovation, there is no misguidance, there is no Ma'bad uh, al-Juhani, or Al-Jahm bin Safwan, or Al-Ja'd bin Dirham, or Wasil bin Atta, these are the heads of the Jahmiyyah, the Mu'tazila, uh, the Qadariyya. None of these people exist. Yet the Messenger of Allah وسلم, is giving a sermon and warning against innovation, warning against callers to the hellfire, warning against controversies and differing and splitting. Why? Because this is something he knows is going to happen in the future. And we see the, 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 the punishment uh, that the Messenger when, when he spoke about the Khawarij and he spoke about the Qadariya and he spoke about Ahlul Ahwa and he spoke about innovations, all of it being in hellfire, all of this warning is there and it is present. And the companions clearly they understood this so that when these people then appeared, like when the bid'ah of Qadr appeared in the time of. Um, the time of uh, Ibn Umar, radiallahu anhu, 
right? What did he say? That go back and tell those people in Iraq who are speaking with this speech, which obviously came through Ma'bad al-Juhundi from the Christians about al-Qadr, denying al-Qadr, said, tell them that I am free of them. I have nothing to do with them. They have nothing to do with me. And then they implemented the guidance of the messenger of Allah, which is do not visit the sick, do not pray over their dead, boycott them. Right? So this is now a type of punishment in the Sharia for the one who commits a crime against the Sharia and against the Muslims by causing them harm of deviation in their religion. Just like the thief in the worldly affairs or the slanderer or any other type of, you know, when you steal someone's land or you do, you know, there are different punishments of various types, whether they are bodily, whether they are monetary or whatever it might be. So it's, 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 it's the same. So people should not find this hard to, you know, uh, to, to, to be very naive and to think that this somehow is some oppression or this is harsh or this is, no, because this is part and parcel of the preservation of our religion. So he mentions this principle of Shaykh Islam Ibn Taymiyyah, مَنْ أَضَرَّ النَّاسِ فِي دِينِهِمْ أَوْ دُنْيَاهُمْ وَجَبَتْ وَقُوبَتُهُ بِقَدْرِ مَضَرَّتُهُ بِقَدْرِ مَضَرَّتِهِ So, this is very, very clear. After this, the Shaykh then goes on to mention the next part of the Hadith, which is Hudayfa says, وَهَلْ بَعْدَ ذَلِكَ الْخَيْرِ مِنْ شَرِّ Okay. So after the time of Ali radiallahu anhu and the Khawarij appearing and the Ummah splitting into two, the civil strife, and then things appearing in the hearts that weren't there in the time of Abu Bakr and Umar. And after, so this is still good. It's a, it's a period of goodness because Ali became the Khalifa and after him uh, Muawiyah then became the Khalifa and despite the differences Muawiyah strengthened the Ummah he had many many victories and he conquered many many lands and he was considered to be a righteous you know a righteous man even the Shia the early initial original Shia even they accepted Muawiyah was a righteous man right so these are the very, very, very first Shia, those who basically held the view that Ali was right, Muawiyah was wrong, we are siding with Ali, we are the, we are the party of Ali, right? There was no other kind of deviation with them, right? So among them were those, and they were found amongst the Tabi'een as well, who basically said that after Muawiyah took uh, the Khilafah and he conquered the various lands, he was a righteous man. And so the issue ended there for them, Right? But then later on there appeared the Rafidah, the Rafidah, because they rejected Abu Bakr and Umar. And so, you know, that's, that's like a whole different uh, thing. So, anyhow, uh, so, so after this time in Ali's time, radiallahu anhu, and uh, that was a time of general goodness and Muawiyah general goodness, right? So the question is, will there be any, any evil after this period of goodness? And so the Messenger of Allah said, Du'atun ala abwabi jahannam man ajabahum ilayha qadafuhu fiha. Yes, there will be callers at the gates of hellfire. Whoever responds to them, they will throw him therein. Right? So now this is the misguided callers. And this is where he asked, they asked the question, Sifhum lana ya Rasulullah. Describe them to us, O Messenger of Allah. And he said, Right? They are from the offspring of, of, of our skin, meaning our, our, the, the Arabs, our generations. 
and they speak with our tongue. They speak with our tongue. So the Sheikh goes on to explain here that there are two questions which were, which were asked. First, will there be any evil after that good? And secondly, to describe them for us. The Sheikh says that the companions wanted to know, are these Muslims that you are speaking about or are they disbelievers? Like, who, who are these people you are saying that are going to come? Uh, and it's very clear that these people are Muslims. Their tongue is the tongue of the Muslims. They speak Arabic. They are Muslim outwardly and apparently their names are Muslim names. And they are not foreigners. They are not strangers to Islam. And who are they? They are the people of innovation and misguidance. So I mentioned some names to you already. Ma'bad al-Juhani. Right? He's the man who took the statement of rejecting al-Qadr from some Christians. Because this appeared in the Jews and Christians before it came to Islam. So he took this statement and he began to spread it amongst the people. Does Allah really know the deeds that we do before we do them? Does he really have that knowledge? You know, is it really just that Allah should punish people when he's decreed their actions upon them? So these kind of doubts and shubuhat began to uh, raise them in Iraq. And that's why some of the companions came to Ibn Umar to ask about this. And also, uh, as we see, uh, people like uh, Jahan bin Safwan, Ja'ad bin Dirham, Wasil bin Ata, uh, Amr bin Ubaid. And, and then the affair continued. Many others, all Arabic speakers uh, from, from among the Arabs themselves, um, you know, who, who uh, began to speak with these types of uh, innovations. So the Sheikh goes on to mention uh, the statement of the Messenger of Allah. Every newly invented affair is an innovation. Every innovation is misguidance, and all of misguidance is in hellfire. Likewise, he said, وَمَنْ دَعَى إِلَىٰ ضَلَالَةٍ كَانَ عَلَيْهِ مِنَ الْإِثْمِ مِثْلْ آثَامِ مَنْ تَبَعَهُ لَا يَنْقُصُ مِنْ آثَامِهِمْ شَيْئًا That whoever called to misguidance, anyone who calls to misguidance, then he will have of such sin, which is like the sin of whoever followed him. And their sins will not be decreased in anything. So every caller to misguidance who brought something into this ummah and misguided the people, then all of the sins of the subsequent people will be upon his shoulders. This is the, the greatness, the tremendous, uh, severe affair of you know, being responsible for misguidance in this ummah. Likewise, it is authentic that the Messenger of Allah said, وَإِنَّمَا أَخَافُ عَلَىٰ أُمَّتِي Indeed, that which I fear for my ummah are misguiding leaders or misguiding scholars. Scholars are leaders that misguide. And from the most evil of the statements of innovation and misguidance or in fact of disbelief that the sheikh is now going to give as an example is something that the Sheikh, this Sheikh, Sheikh Ubaid, and in fact many of the scholars of our era, uh, they frequently mention because of the danger of this particular call. And it is this claim or this call, he says, وَمِنَ الضَّلَالَاتِ الَّتِي هِيَ سَبِيلٌ إِلَىٰ أَبْوَابِ جَهَنَّمْ الدَّعْوَةُ 
From the misguidances, which is from the path that lead to the, the doors of hellfire, is this call of the unity of religions. Right? And this is a call that we've heard before in the decades before, and it's come again now. And it's a call that, uh, as the Sheikh says, that everything from Yahudiyyah and Nasraniyyah, these are Diyanat Samawiyyah, these are that Judaism, Christianity, these are somehow heavenly religions. These are legitimate ways, legitimate paths to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They are alternative paths. And all of it is acceptable to Allah if you worship this way as a Yahudi, worship that way as a Nasrani, worship this way as a Muslim, worship that way. This, all of it is, this is a call that, as I said to you before earlier on, when you read the books of people like Hassan al-Banna from the Ikhwanis, and, um, you know, this is, they're clearly calling to uh, not only oneness and nearness between the Rafida and the Shia, but also between the religions, right? The Yahud are our brethren. Nasran, the, 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 the Christians are our brethren, right? And there was a lot of, a lot of that happening there in, in Egypt, in Alexandria, which historically was the, the place of, of the Jews, a large, large uh, uh, community of Jews been there for many, many centuries. So a lot of that was happening, and so that came through in the writings of, of Hassan al-Banna. And you see there are people appearing every now and then who call to this call. And this call is, uh, the Sheikh will go on to speak about it. Um, and they basically say, well, we need, you need to unite against atheism. Right? Atheism is a big threat to Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. So we need all unite and you know, fight against atheism. And so, Sheikh says that we are going to dispute and contend against this call. Uh, he says, first of all, where have you got this idea that Yahudiya and Nasraniya are heavenly religions? Because, you know, where's your evidence? Bring your evidence if indeed you are truthful. Where's your evidence that Yahudiya? Yahudiya, what's called Judaism, is an innovated religion, got nothing to do with Musa alayhi salam. It's a nationalist, uh, ethno-nationalist religion concocted and fabricated when the Yahud were taken from Jerusalem to Babel, to Babylon, in the 6th century before Isa alayhi salam, around 570. This is known as the Babylonian captivity. They were taken, and this is part and parcel of the punishments given to them for their disbelief, uh, for, their, uh, for their disobedience, and they were taken captive, and they went to, to Babel, and in Babel, uh, they encountered a new environment that they weren't in before, and new circumstances, so they began to write uh, some new, like, like we would say, some new jurisprudence, some new fiqh in their religion. And they concocted a new kind of a religion in which the aim was to protect the national identity in a foreign environment. Right? And so this became the foundation of what later became like the Talmud, you know, uh, the, the, the uh, you know, so-called additional revelation as they claim. But it's really just the writings of their, of their rabbis and their priests and whatever. And they concocted this new religion. This is what became known as Judaism. And eventually this turned into rabbinical Judaism, 
after the time of Isa uh, rabbinical Judaism. And what this basically means is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is in continuous communication with the Yahud through their rabbis. So revelation is an ongoing affair and the rabbis are the recipients and they are the, 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 the leaders and the ones who determine the affairs of the, of the Yahud. Right? And they are somehow special and chosen and uh, they are you know, the, the chosen people, the promised people and so on and so forth. This religion is a bid'ah. This is unknown to Musa salam. Right? This notion that every Yahudi is a piece of God and that this people, this is an eternal people, all of this is kadib. It's a lie, it's batil, it's false. It has nothing to do with the deen of Musa salam, which is the deen of Islam. It is Tawheed and Islam and worshipping Allah alone. So, this is, so where, where is the evidence that this is some sort of, uh, you know, this is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? It's not. And the same with Nasraniyyah. Nasraniyyah, this is not the way of Isa alayhi salam. The way of Isa alayhi salam is what it is Tawheed, worshipping Allah. He's an abd of Allah. He's a messenger of Allah. And he's ordered to pray, to give zakah, to be good to his uh, mother. Right? This is it's Tawheed and righteousness and adhering to the law of Musa salam, right? In which there is guidance, in which there is justice, in which there is, you know, the, 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 what was revealed to Musa salam. That's what he called the Bani Israel to. And that's what came afterwards of Nasraniyyah, which when it reached Rome and became what it became, you know, like a, a religion for the Greeks and Romans. Uh, crafted in a way that you know the, the, the something they already recognize of you know blood sacrifices and worshiping gods walking on the earth and things like that this is not the deen uh, of of isa salam so as the sheikh says right this is impossible what you claim that these are heavenly religions and you know this these types of calls they are cunning they are, these are intrigues meaning these are plots in order to harm uh, the Muslims and Allah did not send any messenger nor any prophet from the time of Nuh um, to the time of Muhammad وسلم, except with Islam this is the name the name Islam is the name of true religion it is the name of true religion if you look at every other deen if you look at Yahudiyyah what is that named after? it's named after a tribe Yahudiyyah. Right? It's a tribal religion. Yet Allah is the Lord of all of mankind. How can, he have a, how can there be a tribal religion? Right? So we know that this cannot be the name of the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nasraniyyah, or Christianity, that's named after uh, Al-Masih, as, as they claim. Right? It's named after a person. Hinduism. Named after a location, a place. Sikhism, very similar. It's like a tribal ethnic uh, religion. Um, Buddhism, named after a man. And you can go on and on and on, on. Right? This is one of the clearest evidences that these cannot be, this is, these are not the names of the true religion. The name of true religion is one which defines and explains the actual relationship between Allah and his creation which is islam what is islam islam means islam means first of all 
that everything comes to Allah as, as a, ser a servant in submission. In kullu man fi samawati wal ard, illa ati rahmani abda. Everything in the heavens and the earth comes to Ar Rahman as an abd, right? As a slave in submission. This is like the universal submission. This means that everybody is subjected to the laws of creation. So if you jump off a building and you are a believer having Iman, you are no different to a disbeliever or a polytheist or an atheist who jumps off the building. He's going to die and you're going to die. The rules are all the same for everybody in the creation. These are Allah's creational laws in his, in his creation. You, you have poison, you have cyanide, you are going to die. And likewise, the, the, the atheist and the mushrik is going to die as well. Right? You eat food, you will get nourished. Everybody else, these are laws of Allah in his creation. Right? So this is universal to everybody. Everybody is a slave of Allah in this respect. The atheist is a slave of Allah. The mushrik is a slave of Allah in this respect. No one can violate the laws of Allah in his creation. You can't jump off a building and try to fly. You, you're gonna, you can't do that. Nobody can do that. It won't work because it, this isn't in the laws of, of, of creation. So this is what we call the universal. Uh, everything is in submission to Allah. We see it with our eyes. We see the sun in its motion. Routine, regular motion. The moon in its motion. We see all the creational uh, causes and their effects operating like clockwork the sun uh, the water the soil the plants everything routinely it, it you know day by day everything is is in in submission in subservience right this is what we call like the universal islam where everything is subservient and then there is the islam which is al istislam lillah subhanahu wa ta'ala Right, which is to submit to Allah in Tawheed, in obedience. This is something that is done willingly. It's done willingly. The, the rest is unwilling. All the rest is involuntary. Right? Meaning that that's what's common between everybody. This now is willing submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this defines the actual relationship between the creator and the created. Submission, willing submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This can, this can only ever be the name of true religion, Islam. And that's why we see in uh, the Quran, inna dina, inna dina, inna Islam. Indeed, the religion with Allah is Islam. Uh, whoever seeks a religion other than Islam, never will it be accepted from him. And he's amongst the losers in the hereafter. And then the other ayat in the Quran that you are familiar with. This explains the actual message of the prophets that we indeed sent amongst every nation a messenger that you should worship only Allah alone and shun false gods. We indeed sent, uh, we did not send any messenger before you except that we inspired to him that there is none worthy of worship except I, so worship me. So these are other texts and also the hadith. Indeed, we, the prophets, we are, our religion is one, but 
you know, our mothers are, are different. So we're all brethren to each other, the prophets and messengers. Our religion is one. We just have different mothers. Right? So meaning that the religion is, is the deen of Islam. It is one and the same. They call it the same thing. Um, then we see also that the sheikh goes on to mention... Um, So after mentioning all of this, he then says, Can any intelligent person say that Yahudiyyah and Nasraniyyah, that these are somehow heavenly religions? Uh, rather, Allah Azawajal, he sent Musa al-Islam with Islam and he sent Isa bin Maryam with Islam. And the Yahudiyyah are a group from the Bani Israel. They altered the Torah. And the Nasraniyyah, they are another group of action, and they also, they altered the Injil. They altered the Injil. And so these are innovated, fabricated uh, religions. And there's actually a, a beneficial statement here from Qatada. Qatada is the Mufassir, as you know, and he has a nice uh, commentary upon the ayah in Surah Ali Imran. At the beginning, chapter seven, uh, chapter three, verse number seven. Sorry, uh, about the ayat, which are muhkamat, uh, the clear, decisive verses, which are the ummul kitab, uhar mutashabihat, and others which are ambiguous. So he has a nice statement, and he's talking about. I'll just summarize this like a page long, so I don't want to uh, go through the whole thing. But in essence. Uh, this verse is speaking about those in whose hearts is a disease because they want to go and to seek ambiguous passages from the Quran in order to make certain interpretations because they seek deviation and they seek misguidance. So Qatada, in commenting upon this verse, he says that if this is not referring to the Haruriyah and the Sabaiyah, then I don't know who it is. Haruriyah meaning the Khawarij and Sabaiyah meaning Abdullah bin Sabah al-Yahudi the one who launched a revolution against Uthman radiallahu anhu right because these are people who basically split the Ummah and they split from the main body of the Muslims and they did so by seeking ambiguous verses and interpreting ambiguous verses to justify what they are saying and to justify their their way, which wasn't found amongst the, the companions. And he goes on to mention about the Khawarij, how they left the companions of Allah's Messenger, yet the companions were widespread in Medina, in Sham, in Iraq, and even the wives of the Prophet were, were alive, companions were alive, and not a single one of the companions of the Messenger of Allah or his wives were found amongst the Haruriyah, right, the Khawarij. All right, these are all not, not from the companions. And nor were they pleased with what the Khawarij were upon. Nor did they support them or, or aid them. Rather, they narrated the hadith of the Messenger of Allah against them. Right? So they spoke about all of those traits and qualities mentioned in the Sunnah. That they are dogs of the hellfire, the most evil of those who are killed under the sky. When you meet them, uh, kill them. If I was to reach them, I would slaughter them like the slaughtering of Ad. The companions narrated these texts and these ahadith about them to let the people know about their traits. They recite the Quran, does not go beyond their throats and all the other things which are mentioned about them. And he goes, uh, likewise... 
he continues and uh, right at the very end is where we want to come to uh, he says right at the very end wallahi inna al-yahudiyya la bid'a wa inna an-nasraniyya la bid'a wa inna al-haruriyya la bid'a wa inna as-sabaiyya la bid'a ma nazala bihinna kitabun wala sannahunna nabiyyun right so he says by allah indeed yahudiyya is an innovation Right, so Judaism is a bid'ah that is not from the deen of Musa al-Islam. It is, it is an invention afterwards, right? And al-Nasraniyya bid'ah. It is not from the deen of Isa al-Islam. That is uh, something new. It is innovated, extraneous to the Islam of Isa al-Islam. And in the same way, al-Haruriyya and sabaiyya which appeared in the time of Qatada, these are two new religions, right? Look at how he's portrayed them, right? Just like Yahudiya is to the deen of Musa alayhi salam. has nothing to do with it. And Nasraniya is to the deen of Isa alayhi salam, which is Islam, nothing to do with it. Then in the same way, Haruriya and Sabaiya and whatever they brought of, of beliefs and ideas, the Haruriya, they made takfir of Ali, made takfir of Uthman, uh, rebelled against the companions, uh, broke away from the jama'ah, built like, you know, a whole new body of people. This is a bid'ah. And Sabaiya, Abdullah bin Sabah, and what he brought, the things that, which, which he brought as, as well against Uthman, then he concocted lies against Ali and claimed that he was, you know, he was Allah and he was the prophet and he was this and all those, this, this, this is a bid'ah. It's a new religion, right? So this is how the, so this is how the companions uh, or the students of the companions this is how they are seeing things right when they are seeing these innovations appear this is their perception this is how they view and see these things so all of this is in the context uh, as we said the sheikh what is he discussing he's discussing this call of wahdatul adyan the unity of religions this is a very very dangerous call and I want to mention two things. First of all, we see that these calls very sadly have appeared. Uh, some of the scholars have spoken about it. We see this call or this label, the Abrahamic faiths or the Abrahamic house of worship or the this, you know. All of this is batil. This is, this is uh, you know, as some of the scholars explain, that in the Quran, Allah has made it absolutely clear that Yahudiya and Nasraniya have got nothing to do with Ibrahim salam. Right? There was no Yahudiya or Nasraniya because Ibrahim salam came before these innovations. How can there be, how can, how can that be an Abrahamic faith, an Abrahamic religion? Right? So this is, this is takdeeb of the Quran to claim that these are somehow uh, valid, legitimate Adyan, which trace back to Ibrahim salam, this is takdeeb of the Quran. So this is batil, this is rejected, and this is not accepted. And likewise, setting up, you know, houses of worship and so on and so forth, all of this is futile, and it, it is vain, and it is false. And the, the scholars of the Muslims have explained the ruling about building houses of worship for, you know, the, the, other than Muslims, and they basically say it's haram, it is haram. It doesn't reach 
the level, this is the view of all of the majority of the, of the scholars, that it is an action which is actually haram. But if it is done out of love for their religion and to support their religion and to aid their religion and on the belief that it is uh, something acceptable uh, to Allah and a path to Allah and that their obedience and their worship in these places is acceptable to Allah, this is kufr. This is a major kufr, right? Expels from the fold of Islam. So uh, we, we have to be careful and we have to warn from this evil and we mustn't allow uh, ourselves, our families, our children to be affected by these, you know, these calls just because they appear in some of the Muslim lands, right? Uh, we, we, we have to, be, because this is a dividing line between Iman and Kufr, number one. The second thing is that I want to mention, and we can close on this inshallah ta'ala, is that the Wahdatul Adyan, we've seen how the scholars have spoken how Wahdatul Adyan can mean that Yahudiya, Nasraniya, and others, that somehow they are heavenly religions. This is false. But there's also another thing that the people of disbelief that they are engaged in in trying to dissolve all religion and have one universal religion right and this is like a slightly different angle from the one that we've been speaking about the one we're speaking about is in terms of revelation which has come the Torah to the Injil um, and which then underwent alteration and it became a new innovated religion and then somehow all that's being amalgamated together and treated as, as one, everything's one religion, all paths to Allah. No, this, this is one angle, right? Because the, these were originally, they were revelations from Allah. But this is a different angle and this is uh, an angle whereby, so, so the way this is working is instead of, if you want to invalidate religion, Instead of saying, your religion is false, your religion is false, your religion is false, your religion is false, and being antagonistic. So now you're being antagonistic. And so when you are antagonistic against a religion, what do people of that religion do straight away? They, they, their back is against the wall and they are in defensive mode. So you want to defend your religion, right? So whether you're a Yahudi or a Nasrani or a Muslim, you're going to defend your religion. So... This is not the way to, to kind of attack religion in general, but Islam in particular. So what, what, what they do is come from the side door or the back door or from the cellar or from you know, different, different directions. And what you do is you start uniting people upon other than the actual foundations of true religion, right? So... We know in the Quran, for example, our dialogue, Ta'alaw ila kalimatin sawa, we say to the Ahlul Kitab, come to a unified word between us and you. To, let's, let's agree that we worship none but Allah. That we worship none but Allah. And we don't take erect lords, like, you know, uh, Arab, we don't erect lords from amongst ourselves, right? This is where we begin. It is Tawheed. Tawheed is the starting point of everything. That's the basis of our unity and discussion with you, right? This is because Tawheed is the greatest justice. It is the greatest adal, right? So if you're committing shirk, how can we unite with you on something else? So what they do is start creating social justice, economic justice, racial, like all of these other 
side issues and then unite people around these side issues. Right? Let's fight racism. Let's fight climate change. Let's fight this, let's fight that. Right? Let's protect the earth. And so all of these ways and means of making these more important than the tawheed of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is another route that the people of disbelief are using in order to bring, it's not so much, it is unity of religions, but it's more having a universal religion to be an umbrella for all other religions, right? So they're not saying, your religion is false, your religion is false, your religion is false. No, they're saying, yeah, you can, you can sort of be Muslim, do what you want to do in your private life, whatever. But the most important thing is that we've got to save the planet. We've got to all come together and unite to save the planet. Right? And so, so then what happens is everything else which, which is the, the, the true religion and what protects true religion, which is Tawheed and what follows on from that, from Al-Wala, Wal-Bara and you know, all these other things. Now it's, well, the loyalty is around other things. It is around racism. It's around, you know, transgender rights. Because well, they're going for the kids. It's for the children. It's not, not for us older people. It's for the children that they're brainwashing. So this generation will be raised up thinking that everything is about, you know, equality, social justice, saving the planet, this, that, whatever. And so they, they, they make them grow up by having these aspirations that this is what is justice. Right? Not the Tawheed of the messengers, that this is the greatest justice. No, this. So when you have a generation raised and brought up like this, the new religion is going to be, the new religion, the one world religion that they want to use to, you know, is basically going to be saving Mother Earth. Gaya, Gaya is like a, a, a earth worship religion that many of these people are upon, the Baha'is and other people who... Many of these people, you know, uh, the, 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 this is the official religion, it seems, of the United Nations, right? So, this is what they are doing, and this is the generation that will come, who's been brainwashed upon these ideas, and this will be the new one world religion to dissolve all the other religions. So this is like, it's kind of like unity of religions, but more, more so an umbrella religion to consume or subsume all other religions, right? They'll all be united upon these periphery side issues, all of which is batil anyway. The, the climate change and the global warming, this is from the greatest, most evil schemes that these people have concocted uh, for this purpose, uh, for stealing the wealth of people, of nations, and um, you know, uh, providing some sort of uh, ideological justification for a new type of rule. Uh, they want to get rid of democracy, uh, because it served its purpose. The new type of rule is like a new feudalism where you become slaves and you, you, know, you, you own nothing and you, you'll be happy and you know, um, you'll have no property and things like that. And that's where they, this is what the intention is. It's very clear. This is, this is very clearly stated, openly known, uh, and it's being implemented, as you can very clearly see, in the schools, um, in, every, in every sphere of, of activity. They are infusing this ideology and this agenda but it does have like an end goal. And that end goal, one of them is, is to have a one world religion that consumes 
that, that you know, every other religion, right? And so that will be the most important thing. Like, you know, it's to save the earth. So what counts as a sin? Like, in fact, even these people, I think last year it was, they had a meeting in the Sinai Desert on what they think is Mount Sinai. It's not, it's not in Sinai Peninsula. But they had a meeting there and they claimed to bring a new set of what they call Ten Commandments. They actually had two tablets with the Ten Commandments, right? And these Ten Commandments all, I don't know all the details, I can't remember them all, but basically it's, it's, it's like what they're what they basically saying is that we need, the old religion, it's not suiting our times anymore, so we need to update to the, to the new, we need to change what is a sin and what's not a sin. Right? So now a sin might be, for example, what would be a sin now in this new religion is to have a barbecue. Because you're releasing carbon into the, you're burning, you know, coals and things like that and you're releasing carbon dioxide and other things, right? So this now is a crime against Mother Nature, against Mother Earth. This now should be made a sin. Right? This is literally how these people are thinking. This is literally what they are thinking too. To, to change what the notion of sin is. Right? To travel more than you need to. To have too many stakes. Right? To, and likewise included, included within this would be, for example, that to, to affirm that there are two, that there's a male and a female. Oh, this is a sin. It's a sin and it's a crime against uh, society. This is exactly where this is going. This is where they want to take it, obviously. And they're going for the children because the children are very easy to brainwash. They have no uh, criterion. They have no way to resist. Uh, this is how children are. They don't have any preformed ideas and values you know, at that age. Uh, unless the parents you know, uh, watch over them and, and give them that nurturing. But they won't because in that way you can just quickly change things in one generation. And you have a generation that's prepared to accept all of these lies and these... Uh, hoaxes and, and scams and they will be brought up thinking that this, this is what, what justice and truth is. Right? So this is another way of which Wahdatul Adyan, so to speak, not exactly in the same way as that, but in another way, this is what they are doing, especially in these Western countries, Western social democracies, and they are trying to goad in other nations into the, the whole scheme through the, the climate hoax, the, the global warming, and likewise the same thing with, uh, you know, with, uh, with contagion and pandemics, and, you know, which, which are manufactured and exaggerated. And it's all under the name of biosecurity and protecting the earth and saving the earth. And, you know, uh, that's the ideology. This, this is all ideology. It's not science. There's no science behind this. It's fake science. And it's being weaponized to create, as I said, a new way of thinking, a new religion. And, and this is where things you know, are basically uh, going. So we need to be careful. We need to be wary of that as well. Uh, we need to be, make sure that our children are not told these lies and fed these lies. Where you know, instead of teaching children to be critical thinkers and to learn objective facts and to reason on the basis of those objective facts, what do children go to school for? Uh, to be given sexual uh, indoctrination and um, you know to respond to emotions 
and uh, you know this this schooling is not what it schooling is schooling it's not education it's changed it's been taken over by these leftists liberalists wokeists marxists all right so th this is this is very very dangerous um, and because these things develop slowly step by step in small steps you don't really see like the changes till it's too late all right so this is very very important you mustn't uh, uh, you mustn't ignore these issues uh, thinking they're not harmful they are they are very very harmful they're harmful specifically because of this reason because they appear to be so benign and so you know uh, insignificant but everything is incremental step by step until you realize it's too late you know um, so anyhow that brings us to an end we haven't uh, finished we've got um, so where do we we finished on the statement from uh, Qatada. So, inshallah ta'ala, maybe in the next lesson we can conclude the rest of uh, the Sheikh's explanation, inshallah ta'ala. So, what we'll do is we'll, we'll end our lesson there for today uh, and we'll continue the next time that we meet up. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Non-Muslim yeah. build a masjid. Yeah. Sorry, so you're saying a non-Muslim builds a masjid for Muslims? Okay, who who owns the masjid? So they establish an Islamic committee. They handed it, uh, Islamic yeah, yeah, yeah. So they handed it over to the Muslim committee, yeah. and so they are responsible for running the masjid. But who owns the masjid? Who owns the building? Who owns the building? Yeah, yeah. Well, if they, if, they, if, they, if they run the masjid and it's been given over to them to handle, to run, to look after, then there's, there's nothing wrong. You, you can, it's, it's a masjid. You can pay in the masjid. Yeah. He's just donated the land. He's just given the, you know. Um, ideally, the Muslims should actually own it if they can. If he's donated it and he said the land is yours, the building is yours, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. It's, that's fine. Yeah. Why they have referred to a 
Sorry? Jews and Christians. Yeah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala referred them as Ahle Kitab. Yeah. Is there any explanation? No, no, the Ahlul Kitab, they are recipients of the book. Uh, unlike, uh, they are people who have with them a book. Um, so they are given a special status uh, because um, in order for them to receive da'wah and to hear the message of Islam and uh, to, to you know, receive guidance, that's all that means. Uh, they are recipients of the book, Ahlul Kitab. They have with them a book, uh, which is clearly traced to, to Isa al-Islam and to Musa al-Islam, but also it's been altered, it's been changed. So, yeah. Yeah, look it up, but they also, they are, they are people of disbelief. They all see. Of Messiah, Al Masih. Yeah, what is the definition of Messiah in the Quran? No, well, the, the, there isn't a definition of Al Messiah, Messiah in the Quran, but what it means, Al Masih, uh, just means the the anointed, someone who is anointed. Anointed means like, um, you know, you are rubbed with with oil or something, or you know, Al Masih. That's all it means. That's one of the meanings, Al Masih, in the Arabic language. Yeah. Sorry? Like I was wondering because I thought there was like a difference between Isa and Masih. So I didn't yeah. know what the definition was in Islam. So no, Isa is, is Al-Masih. It's a title given to him. So his name is Isa bin Maryam. Isa the son of Maryam. But he's given Al-Masih. He's given a title. It's a title for him, Al-Masih. It's not his name. It's just a title. Which means that he is like the, the anointed one. Um... But beyond that, there's no like, there isn't like a definition. It's it's just just a title. Title has been given. Yeah. There's a quick question here. Is it okay to study philosophy in order to respond to the doubts of the modern day atheists? Christians, etc., whatever. No, we don't study philosophy. We don't need philosophy. We don't need philosophy. Uh, the messenger of Allah never brought any philosophy. He brought revelation. Uh, ayat, barahin, um, and sound reason. Uh, philosophy is the way of people who devoid of revelation they try to figure out things concoct things and it's very subjective and um, that's why um, you see the philosophers often being the most immoral of people uh, whether modern day or in the past um, we don't we don't need uh, you don't need to learn philosophy you don't need to learn logic either in order to know the truth and to explain the truth uh, you know, so no we don't we don't need to learn uh, philosophy philosophy is like the weakest type of uh, you know it, it brings the weakest type of arguments because they're abstract these are abstract arguments 
Um, and this is not the way of the Quran. The way of the Quran is to direct people to ayat and barahin. Ayat are like the actual signs of Allah in his creation. Barahin, which are evidences. Um, and to argue by way of them. It deals in tangibles. It deals in real things. It deals in, um, you know, whereas philosophy is just abstract, often is talking about concepts which exist in the mind but don't, which are not real externally. Um, uh, there's always wrangling about definitions. What does this mean? What does that mean? This is not the way of the Quran. The Quran never came with this. The messengers never came with any of this. The messengers came with the simplest, most direct types of evidences which are in the daily experience of everybody. Right? The ayat that we see, that we observe, because these, these are <coughs> empirical, real, tangible <coughs> evidences on the basis of which we <coughs> on the basis of which that we make our, our reasoning. Alright? And this is what you will find. You'll find that the people who indulge in philosophy, they will spend a whole lifetime being utterly confused, having doubts in their iman, not knowing what is true. And then at the very end of their life, as happened with Al-Ghazali, Al-Razi, and people like that, they said, you know what? Even the old barren woman in a village somewhere, in Nisapur, for example, she is more knowledgeable than me, who spent a whole lifetime in philosophy. Because by virtue of her fitra, the original disposition, she's remained upon like the truth intact, devoid of any you know like philosophical nonsense and rambling and you know whatever. She is more knowledgeable, she has more knowledge than what we have after a whole uh, that, that's the ma'na of the of, of the of the kalam, uh, of spending a whole lifetime in the oceans of philosophy being tossed here and there. That's the nature of philosophy, right? Whereas you see simple statements, you know, like the Bedouin who said that footsteps in the sand are clear empirical evidence that someone's been there. And camel droppings are clear evidence that a camel's been there, right? This is, this is empirical, this is like, this is real tangibles. We're dealing in real things. And we're reasoning on the basis of real things. Right? This is very different to abstract proofs, which are largely what the mind conceives and thinks of. And then you start getting into definitions and what does this word mean or that word mean? It just gets messy. You don't establish anything. Right? So, no, we don't, we, we're not in need of, we don't need philosophy. We don't need to study philosophy. Um, you know? Uh, and it depends also what you mean by philosophy, you know, because it's like a, a vague word, a, a general word, a general word. There could be certain aspects of certain sciences that you look at and study in terms of how the science is is constructed, what are its foundations. Some people might call that philosophy. Um, you know, so it's, it's a loose word, can mean many, many things. But in general, if you mean by philosophy, you know, um, the writings of Aristotle and Plato and people like that. We don't, we don't need any of that for guidance. 
for truth. Right? Allah knows best. Inshallah, we'll stop there because we have to, have to be on our way, inshallah.